0: Welcome back to the Pop Anime Comics Lounge where I have with me professional wrestler Gary fucking Jay who has wrestled for St. Louis Anarchy, Anarchy Championship Wrestling, National Wrestling League, Combat Zone Wrestling, Southern Underground Pro, and Lethal Wrestling Alliance to name a few places, so thank you for being on the show. Hey, what's going on, man? How you doing tonight? I am super excited to be interviewing you, and the whole reason why this came about is I got interested in independent wrestling and IWTV Live, and I saw your match with Jake (laughs) Parnell. And that's how I really found out who you were. But before we get into all of that, you've been wrestling for about 15 years now. How did you first discover and really get into wrestling? Basically, I was like 11 years old and I just looked on the TV one day on a Saturday and
1: Macho Man was on my screen cutting a promo and I fell in love ever since. Then what were you watching growing up? As soon as I kind of fell in love with that, anything Shawn Michaels, I watched WWE a lot. I always knew what WCW was. I wasn't really a fan of WCW, but I started actually watching ECW and pretty much that was like my life at that point.
0: And so now you're watching ECW... And then at what point did you realize that this is what you wanted to do as a job?
1: Pretty much as soon as I started becoming a big fan of Mick Foley or Cactus Jack or Do Love or Mankind, as soon as I started watching a lot of his stuff, I realized, man, like this is something I really want
0: to do and pursue. I had no clue cool how-to at the time. And to talk a little bit about that, so how did you go about finding how to become a professional wrestler and a school to train at? And what was that journey like for you and really piecing it all together and making it happen? It kind of fell right in my lap. Me and my friends have always liked wrestling, so I was like a teenager. When I was like
1: 16, my buddy Pete worked at a bar, and some wrestlers that were starting a promotion came into the bar, gave him a flyer, and like, hey, we'll train everybody. It was an absolute shit show. Like, we trained
0: in a ring in a trail park on the side of the fucking trailer. It was an absolute joke, but that was the first time I got in a ring. And so what was that experience like for you, just training that way? And then did you move on to a better school at some point? i didn't give a fuck i just wanted to be in a ring but then i realized okay i don't know if this is how it happens
1: but we ended up meeting some other guys and they moved the ring from the trail park into a diesel garage and then we started
0: training under adam raw and nick tyson which are kind of st louis names adam
1: raw is still around he's involved in st louis anarchy
0: yeah and let's talk a little bit about that training and how was that training broken down for you between the physical aspects and the psychological aspects and really just learning the basics and the trade of wrestling
1: it was a complete mindfuck they pretty much just got in the ring blew us up and beat the fuck out of us until they were happy
0: and obviously after getting beaten up and really getting destroyed and i guess grinded down is a good word to throw here what was yeah. your best takeaway from that training and that experience that you really still have in you today as a wrestler.
1: Quite honestly, everything I do is because of that. Like everything I'm involved in or anything I put my time or effort into in wrestling wise is because of that. Like discipline and hard training. I still kind of like look as like what kind of molded me into what I am today. Even though it was 2003.
0: And now we're going to jump a little bit two years ahead. I think around this time you started making your wrestling debut in Gateway Championship Wrestling.
1: They were just pretty much the big show in St. Louis at the time, the major company, somewhere where I wanted to be and learn from. I was in LWA at the time, and then I just started working for Gateway. I think, unfortunately,
0: I was stuck tagging with fucking Cabal for like 18,000 years. And let's talk about you tagging with people as well as sort of having this major feud that started in Gateway, was in Lethal Wrestling Alliance, spilled into Anarchy, and that was with Pierre Abernethy, who is also huh. as Matt Jackson, the owner of St. Louis Anarchy, for those who don't know. So how did that feud start between the two of you as you've had so many matches with each other?
1: Basically, we trade together. We've been friends since high school, and when you train with someone so much, you end up just wanting to travel, so you end up working that guy so many times because when you first show up in places you're like well we don't want to bother fucking work
0: you so just work each other and we'll see how you do so we did that a lot so that's pretty much how we ended up working constantly with each other and i want to talk a little bit about that Because what is that like for you to know somebody so well outside of the ring, be friends with them, and then face them in singles matches where you were involved in title matches against him, as well as involved in a lot of tag matches with him. You were up against Nick Tyson in several of those, as well as Stephen Kennedy, Davey Vega, Billy McNeil, Jordan Lacey. were also all involved over like five or six years. So what was that entire experience like where Almost every match was different between the two of you.
1: Like I said, we learned a lot together. So when we really knew what we were doing, we just went out there and did it. It's one of those things where, like, you know someone so well. It's like riding a bike, but at the same time with wrestling, it's like, what can we change and switch up so people don't get sick of the same old shit?
0: And now I want to talk a little bit inside baseball about this. So obviously I mentioned Matt Jackson. Own St. Louis Anarchy. So, what is it like for you? Because you still wrestle for St. Louis Anarchy, and I'm assuming you will constantly wrestle for them, and I'm hoping. So, what is it like for you, knowing that he's also the booker, that he knows firsthand what you are capable of doing, and how does that uh- affect you going into matches? The cat's not out of the bag, like me and Matt Jackson are best friends actually he's
1: my roommate so like we've been friends forever and we just happen to grow and he happens to run one of the best promotions in the midwest st louis anarchy so it's one of those things where like he pushes me constantly with certain
0: situations and giving me matches and lets me go out there and perform and he trusts me with what i do And now I want to backtrack out of that feud and into a feud that sort of spun out of that, where you were in several tag matches facing Matt Jackson and Nick Tyson was in those matches. What was it like facing Nick Tyson? Because you faced him in singles matches, as well as in tag matches, as well as for the U-30 title in Anarchy what was it like to face a former trainer of yours and really kind of showcase what you can do?
1: Basically, to me, Nick Tyson's one of the best professional wrestlers that never was. He really could have done shit. It's just he got in his own head. And then once he found something else that he loved in his life, he just stopped wrestling, which sucked because, like I said, he's one of the biggest names that never was.
0: And also, in these matches, you got to tag up with Adam Raw. What was that like for you, who was the other half of the training and beating the shit out of you early on? It was awesome because he was on my side, so he was a beat me <laughs> up. But I'm so aggressive because of guys like adam ron dingo and now i mentioned it and we might as well talk about it in 2008 you got one of your first title opportunities you had the lwa title before that but in 2008 you got the anarchy u30 young gun championship in a fatal four-way against barry breeze sean vex and rex reed how did this match come about and what was going on in your head when you won the belt quite honestly
1: i don't even remember that
0: match let's just speak about anarchy then just in general because anarchy has been interesting with you and your career as you've won several titles there you've wrestled some of the best wrestlers in st louis what was it like for you to be part of anarchy win a lot of titles there and do it very early on in your career and how does that affect you as a young wrestler when you were winning these titles maybe three four years into your career it just
1: made me feel that like I was doing something right, so I just kept doing that. It didn't give me an ego, and it didn't make me think that I was done learning or getting better. It was just one of those things where I got the
0: opportunity, so I took the ball and ran with it. And now I want to shift back to Lethal Wrestling Alliance, because you've had some very interesting matches here. And one of the things that I'm not completely sure about the history is that you had the title, you lost the title, and then you became the number one contender for that title. What was that entire situation like, really going from having the title to then becoming the number one contender and facing some of the best there, like Davey Vega, Eric Cannon, Jeremy Wyatt was another one who you faced constantly, as well as JT LaModa. What was it like going up against those guys?
1: Vega is one of the best in the area. He still is with Fitch as the best. He's our best unsigned tag team in wrestling. Man, I haven't heard the name JT Lamont in a while. He was another guy in Texas that was awesome. And then he went to Japan for a little bit, but then he ended up just stepping out of the ring because he didn't want to do it anymore. Another guy I learned a lot from and give a lot of credit to. You. I just have never said that out loud. Jeremy White is probably one of the best unsigned talents in the country still. I guess young in my career, like a lot of that time span. Once again, I don't remember it because I was so young and a lot of it didn't click for me. Until like I look back at it now, like I understand more.
0: And now let's talk a little bit more about Davey Vega because obviously he's with the besties in the world. They just had a fantastic match against the Lucha Brothers maybe two weeks ago, three weeks ago. And they're amazing as a tag team. And you got to face Davey Vega and you faced him multiple title opportunities. You've traded title wins with each other. You've wrestled each other just in independent matches and six-way eliminations. What is it like to go up against somebody like him and have all these matches with him? And he's really an amazing tag team specialist, but for him to also be an amazing single competitor what is that like for you and how does that push you to your max and to make you a better wrestler basically Vega's is probably one
1: of the only people in my area in st Louis who i consider they're better than me i think fitch and vega are both better than me you know obviously they're a tag team but singles i've wrestled a thousand times a piece and like i guess at the end of the day like
0: those two can really push me with my boundaries and like i can really see what i'm made
1: of kind of thing
0: And considering that they push you to your boundaries, I mean, what have you picked up from them? Because whenever wrestlers step in the ring with each other, especially when you're stepping in really, really good talent, typically it's a learning experience. So what have you picked up from Vega and even Fitch? Always be on your toes.
1: Always be aware. Those guys are so good, you won't even know what's coming kind of thing. So like you definitely in that situation, you got to always be alert.
0: And now I want to take a step away from LWA and go back to Anarchy for one second. Because in 2010, you had something very interesting happen to you where you won a 15-man Battle Royale to determine the televised title champion for that company and involved in this match. And I think she's just retiring as Chris Wolf. Davey Vega was also in there. Matthew Palmer was in there. And Jessica James, to name a few. What was it like to be involved with these four as well as becoming the first televised champ for that company and kind of being the first standard that they wanted to push out there.
1: It was fun. That was a really good time in my life when it came to wrestling. It was an ACW in Texas. I was the YouTube champion. So, like, once again, it was cool because I knew, like, all
0: my matches would be on YouTube, and, like,
1: I was kind of like a face of the company of an independent place.
0: And let's talk a little bit about that, considering that they were all on YouTube, and things have changed in 2018, 2019, and maybe even in 2017, things have started to change. But what was it like in 2010, where YouTube was probably where a lot of things on the indie scene were being seen, if not in person? So what was that like, really being the YouTube champion for that company, and kind of pushing it out there? that way
1: it was cool because like i said the internet was kind of just starting to blow up in a way youtube was just now getting really big of course social media is like the biggest thing ever when it came to wrestling now but it was a big deal and like once again i didn't really think of it as a big deal i was just doing my job showing up doing my job and going home it was one of those things where now that i look at it was like oh that was pretty neat because i'm sitting here talking about it in the moment i don't really think about it like that
0: and how did you feel being that they put the first ever title and making you the first ever champ for the company. And what did that do for you in your career? And even just personally,
1: once again, one of those things where I don't know really how
0: to answer a lot of this is so long ago. It's hard for me to remember because I've been doing
1: this consistently since 2003. So, like, unless I have stats or, like, footage in front of me, like, I forget a lot about his stuff. So, like, now that I'm talking about it, like, I'm trying to, like, think about it and how I feel at the moment, but I just, nothing comes off the top of my head.
0: And now there are two very interesting matches that occurred around this time as well. And there are two wrestlers that are doing some amazing things in WWE. And you had a match with Ricochet, and you also had a match with El Generico. What were these matches like, as both of them are just amazing wrestlers? They were (laughs) amazing wrestlers 10 years ago. I think they're even better now. What was it like to get to wrestle both of these men
1: well el generico was always like my dream
0: match that was the one match i always wanted and i actually got it and
1: like i vividly remember that because that was such a learning curve and that was one of the biggest learning experiences i've ever had in the ring so like doing that and then just being able to share the ring with someone like el generico and then being able to pick his brain and stuff like that was like the highlight of my career at the time and then working with ricochet he's always been kind of in the area because he was from kentucky so like that was really cool I knew then what people know now and that we've always know he's super special and uber athletic
0: and I always knew I'd see him on TV and continuing to speak about WWE there are a few more people who made it to WWE that you wrestled around this time and one of those people is ACH and Akira Tozawa what was it like also going up against those guys because Akira Tozawa is an amazing cruiserweight And he's also Japanese, and he's got that going as well as he's just a really interesting high flyer. And ACH is doing some interesting stuff in NXT. What was it like going up against those guys? And you've had many matches with both of them. I pretty
1: much traveled the country for two years and fought ACH everywhere. He was always the new kid on the block in Texas, and then we started wrestling there, and then we ended up just going everywhere with it. And like I always knew once again how uber talented he was and how athletic he was, and I always knew he'd make it because he's an acquired taste in real life, but he's generally a great guy i always knew he'd make it too and working with his was insane because he doesn't speak any english so like learning how to work around that and work with people
0: that are japanese and from different
1: countries and stuff like that was another learning curve i took a lot from that
0: and what is that like to really put together a match and work together with somebody who has a different style of wrestling because japan is very different on how they view wrestling culture they're very different on how they teach there japan is a very different company than wwe in that respects as well as the fans are not to mention that there's a language barrier so what was putting together everything like with him how'd you communicate
1: very carefully it's one of those things where like you have to know your craft and know wrestling really well to work with someone that doesn't speak english so that's when i really knew i was like okay obviously i have the fundamentals down if i can work someone that doesn't speak in english
0: And now I want to get into some of the more hardcore stuff. And the reason why we did all this is because that kind of sets a stage. Because I think in 2012, when LWA became St. Louis Anarchy, and there was a name change, and things kind of changed. I feel that the company changed, took a different direction, and became a little bit more hardcore, and a little bit more weaponized. And one of the matches that kind of set this off is that you had a very... Interesting TLC match with Dan Walsh.
1: Yeah, that was insane. I'm pretty sure I lost a lot of blood in that match.
0: What was it like going into this match, TLC's typically are brutal they are a fight they are not for the faint of heart and a lot of things can go wrong i mean we've seen it with kevin steen and el generico back in the day with ladder wars so what was going through your head going into this match during this match and how did you feel how it all turned out
1: well i knew going in that i would hate my life the next day because i knew i would probably get my fucking ass kicked an awful lot but i can't fear the reaper kind of thing so just went in there and beat dan walsh's ass pretty sure we shared blood because that's how we do and Once again, nothing was in my head because I always knew like something was going to distract me from the match that I wouldn't win.
0: And how did the fans react to this? Because this was a pretty brutal fight. This wasn't a match. This was a fight. I'm pretty
1: sure they got their money's
0: worth that night. So I'm sure they went home happy. (laughs) And you've had many fights. And another fight, and speaking of Adam Raw, who's still in St. Louis working, you had a 10,000 thumbtack match. And if anybody knows anything about thumbtacks, Mick Foley, you know, is somebody you enjoyed, and that's kind of his thing. What was that like to participate in a thumbtack match, knowing that you're a Mick Foley fan? It
1: was cool, but then again, painful.
0: If I remember that match where uh, Adam Raw grill press slammed me from the ring to the wall
1: on the side, so that was very painful.
0: And I'm assuming thumbtacks hurt. These aren't your children's pushpin thumbtacks. How do you prepare mentally for going into some thumbtacks?
1: You just got to go in knowing you're going to be wrecked. It's going to happen regardless. So you just got to kind of go in and going. This is going to suck.
0: And now following this match, and I don't know if this was a hardcore match but it was, I think, very important in your career. You got the opportunity to face Darren Corbin for his SLA heavyweight title. What was it like going into this match and really getting a title opportunity with the company changing and getting that opportunity at the gold?
1: I don't remember what it was like going in, but going out, it was great
0: because I won and I ended up being the longest reigning
1: St. Louis champion, which was almost like 800 and something days.
0: And how did you feel? Obviously, you said it was great, but. Was there any pressure added on to you being the champ and really representing this company and representing this new branding of the company at the time?
1: Oh, absolutely. There was a
0: lot of pressure on me. And there was a lot of times before I even went out there where I didn't think I could do it. But if there's no pressure, or no stress, then it's no fun. And now, I think we're going to get into some really brutal stuff and talk about it. So, if you're a fan at heart, we're heading down that pathway, and it's about to get a lot more fun, which is what you're known for. You're Gary fucking Jay for that reason. And all throughout 2014 and 2015, with this belt, you faced some of the best, and you had some of the most interesting matches that I think changed St. Louis. You had an amazing match beating Kyle O'Reilly two out of three falls. Which is not an easy thing to do, so I wanna start there. What was it like going up against Kyle O'Reilly?
1: Kyle O'Reilly's the man. He was one of the best, still is one of the best and he's another guy that like I went in there knowing he was light years
0: better than me and I was just hoping to be better afterwards. So Kyle's I think one of the best in the world. And what was it like not to just beat him once? Because that would be amazing in its own right. But to beat him twice in one night, what was that like? And what did that do for you? Knowing that you can go toe-to-toe with him and that you can bring a fight to him and that you can match him. At least on that night, you can.
1: It's one of those things where, like, it's surreal when you can beat someone that is a peer, if not better than you. You got to start realizing you're just as good as them or you were that
0: night. And then another match that I think changed St. Louis in many ways is beating Matt Fitchett in a two out of three falls TLC match, which I don't understand how that fully works. And you could break that down. But even still, what was that match like? Because that must have been a fight. TLC matches, as we were speaking about before, are crazy and are violent.
1: Well, the two out of three falls thing was pretty much like.
0: Obviously anybody can beat you once, but can they beat you twice in a row? It's
1: one of those things where that was my stipulation when I was champion. So every championship match I had was two out three falls. And then wrestling Fitchit or fighting Fitchit was just what it was. Like he's a kid from Granite City, he's covered in tats, likes to drink, and has a of mouth, so of course it's gonna be a fist fight. Just happens to have
0: ladders and chairs involved. And when you fight Matt Fitchett, you have to fight Davy Vega and you brought him to a sixty minute draw. What is it like wrestling Davy Vega for 60 minutes?
1: It's god-awful. It's the longest fucking day of my life. You know, once again, you just got to go in there, and sometimes you don't realize, oh, shit, this has been going on for an hour. It was kind of one of those things where it's never happened in the St. Louis area, or it hasn't happened in years and years and years. So, like, it was kind of cool because we made St. Louis history, not, like, national history. CNN don't give a fuck about that.
0: And eventually you drop the title, but how do you feel about really being this fighting champion, raising the bar at St. Louis in many ways, putting on some of the most amazing fights, I don't even say matches, because they were fights, and lasting 800 plus days as champion, and still I believe you hold the record for holding that belt.
1: Sure do. Very prideful. I'm very proud. I'm very proud of that whole run and I'm very proud to pretty much consider myself one of the pillars of St. Louis wrestling. There's fucking four of us, myself, unfortunately, Jake Parnell and the besties. Like we're the measuring stick in St. Louis and I say this
0: proud and loud, like there's no one close to us in the area. And so when you say that, and I believe it and I recommend anybody who doesn't know who you are check you out. But does that add any pressure being a pillar and really having this concept and i would imagine that you have a standard that you impose upon yourself does that add any pressure when you go out and you do these matches and we're going to talk about the jake parnell match and we're going to talk about the nick fucking gauge match in a minute or two but does that add any pressure when you have this four pillar type standard out there
1: it adds pressure to myself but i like to have pressure to me it's one of those things where like I say this stuff, and I bullshit and walk the walk and talk the talk, but like for me, it's like, okay, well, then if people want it as bad as me, go ahead and try to take it from me. It's one of those things where I'm the best in the area,
0: not because I have an ego. It's because i fucking worked my ass off for years, and I proved that.
1: Prove me wrong.
0: Prove me wrong. And now before we get to those two matches, I do want to talk about three more matches. And one of them was that you got the team with Chris Hero in a five-man tag match. And people know who Chris Hero is. He's massively popular on the indies. What was that like, even just to be in a five-man tag match with him?
1: That was the weirdest tag in my life. I'm pretty sure that was the IWM itself. And I think Nova was on my team, too. That's the one you're referring to. Yeah, that's the one I'm referring to.
0: It was an odd match, to say the least. It
1: was odd putting it together, too. But anyways, it was interesting. Nova, I sat backstage and picked his brain. And
0: then, obviously, Chris fucking Hero with. There as well. It was just really odd. I learned a lot. And then the other one that I think is going to be a little bit more interesting is your match with Moose. And Moose is doing some interesting things and in impact now. So what was that like?
1: I didn't even know who Moose was at the time. He actually just showed up to the Mid-South show with John Grisham and then got put in a match with me. And I think I beat Moose if I remember correctly.
0: And now let's get into what I think is fascinating. And this is the long war. I think it's like 14 matches between the two of you. And I want to break some of this stuff down with Jake Parnell. And you just said, and whether you like him or not, he is one of the four pillars of St. Louis. And the two of you have wrestled all over the Midwest to narrow it down a little bit against each other in various matches. How did that entire thing start? Between the two of you.
1: Basically, he was Zero One's X division champion. And he was pretty much wrestling jobbers,
0: per se. And
1: never really had a threat to his title. So then Zero One never booked me or used me. So I started tweeting online about how they were pussies and didn't want to use me. And eventually, enough people got behind it. I got an X division title shot against Jake Parnell. And then we just realized then that we're destined to be married to violence for the rest of our lives.
0: And now you two have had massive, massive matches between each other. And I think you've had a few matches before that World Junior Heavyweight X Division title at Zero One, one And that was a brutal match where that was not a traditional match by any stretch of the imagination. How do these matches get out of hand with you and him?
1: Simply, we want to prove that one of us is going to die. He's very stubborn, I'm
0: very stubborn, and neither of us like
1: to lose and stay down. So obviously we've had last man standing matches, we've had building brawls, we've done it all other than, you know, wrestle, Wrestlemania. So Vince, if you're listening to this, Vince, we'd be hell
0: of a free show. And one of the things that happened in this match, in the zero one one match, is that the ring got taken apart with a nice wrench, and I believe you did that. And the hooks came into play Where do you even think of something like that to do And throw somebody off with the hook in the mouth And how does your mind work In that sense to develop Something as sinister and violent As that because that's what I want to know
1: It's kind of one of those things when you're in there
0: and you're in the moment Like
1: in that case I just kind of blacked out And did what I had to do to win
0: And one of the things about the two of you That is so fascinating And you've had a few last standing matches And we're going to talk about the recent one in a minute or two But the two of you just keep getting up and up and up and up and up, chair shot, table, door, ring, hook and mouth thrown over the rope, you name it, the two of you have done it, and you keep getting up, how does that affect you as a wrestler? Of what is it going to take to bring the other guy down?
1: It's a mind fuck That makes you up the ante more and more. And eventually you can't up the ante. Because I'm pretty sure if I shot him in the ring. I'd be arrested for murder.
0: And now one of the things that is going on in wrestling right now. And I think the two of you have done this really, really well. And there's a lot of criticism about WrestleMania right now. And I think this is so fitting. That we're actually talking about this. Because the two of you had a story between you. Given that it started sort of on Twitter. And then it went in the ring. And you exchanged victories over one another and that it was really to try and figure out who is the best in the world and you're both pillars of st louis anarchy how do you feel that this story of really figuring out who is better Played out, because that's what currently is being criticized about WrestleMania, that it didn't have any stories. How do you feel that really helped to push you and Jake Parnell's matches with each other?
1: Ironically, this story between us is over two years old, maybe three years old now. It's one of those things where, like, it got a lot more of attention than I ever thought it would. And I will continue to use that attention and buzz to make my name bigger and bigger. So it's kind of like our feud is a catalyst to get our name out there
0: more and now i don't know if the story's over but the last installment of the story was fascinating and that was the last man standing match at IWTV family reunion and you won that match and that match was a brutal brutal match between the two of you and it was very cool that the ring came back into play what was that like in that entire experience for you doing it one last time or possibly a few more times after this
1: Basically, I wanted to go in there and prove that I would be the last man standing, but I also knew the stakes were very high because it was WrestleMania week and there were a lot of eyes in New Jersey that week. So, like, I just wanted to finally take my spotlight and take my time in the sun. Can I prove that? Not only if I'm in there with Jake Parnell, with anybody, like, I am one of the
0: best. And what was it like with the ring hook coming in and you getting thrown over and it being used on you, because it was very poetic in the match. It
1: was terrifying, because obviously we know what happened to him. As soon as I hit the floor, that's the first thing I did was grab my mouth, and I was like, okay, I'm not dead.
0: In all these matches, how do you feel that the fans really got involved in that? Because the fans, at least in Anarchy, are very involved in these matches. And we talk about the Nick Gage match. We talk a little bit about that. But the fans toss you weapons sometimes, and throughout a lot of these matches, they move out of the way. They throw chairs in the ring for you. What is that like?
1: The Anarchy atmosphere is awesome. That base of fans is so loyal to the core. Like it's amazing. Like obviously, Anarchy is one of my favorites favorite place. It's my home. I've done a lot there and I help a lot there behind the scenes. Spoiler alert. But it's one of those things where like that's my home and always will be my
0: home. If there was a hill to die on, like literally like I would die in that building in Alton. And now, is there more of a story with Jake Parnell? And are the two of you done? Or are you waiting to see what happens? Or will you fight him anytime you want to fight him? Because the two of you just don't like each other?
1: It's kind of one of those things now where you guys just got to sit around and wait and see what's next in the book, in the next saga, or the next series. I'm not going to say we're done. I'm not going to say we're going to have another one. Now you guys just got to play the waiting game and see what happens.
0: And we're going to table it right there, but I do want to talk about Nick Gate Because Nick oh, yeah. Gage is an amazing wrestler he's got that death match style i think you have that as well and you've had two matches with him and the last match which was maybe about a month ago now what was that like because that was also a fight and there was a lot of stuff going in on that match and i kind of want to break it down a little bit because there's ceiling Uh tiles in there the fans as i stated threw in the chairs for you what was going on that prompted the two of you to go at it?
1: Nick Gage is the guy. Like he's the guy in the Indies right now. So like, he's a bad motherfucker. Nick Gage is Nick Gage. Like you see him. That's what you get. That's who he is. So like, why not go in there and fight the biggest guy in the Indies in my building so, like, that atmosphere was like no other like it was the same like people toss around big fight feel all the time but like when you have 380 to 400 people stand on their feet for 20 minutes as two guys are beating the shit out of each other like that is magic and like that can't be duplicated or recreated it was a very magical night obviously a very painful night as well but like i just wanted to go in there and prove that nick gates is the fucking man but like i'm a fucking man in that building
0: and what was fascinating about that match and it's very rare i think in wrestling to see where we have such fan involvement and that we have fighting all over and that a ceiling title was brought down and used and the only thing that i can remember and it wasn't even in recent times was cm punk talking about his last night in ring of honor back in the day where him and his opponent wanted to bring down like the barn in an indie show I think it was very similar to that I mean obviously you guys aren't going to bring down the building but it had that feel so what is it like to really generate that feel because it's so rare and wrestling to see that
1: just like if you were there in that building at night or you watch it like you get those goosebumps you get that feel I feel the same way in the ring like you can feel all that energy and when he starts tearing shit up that's who he is you can't control him that gauge is Nick fucking gauge
0: and I think that's an excellent place to leave it because I think that really embodies who you are with Nick Gage and Jake Parnell and this hardcore style and I think this is something that really has made you who you are and has really kind of gotten you attention I mean how do you feel that doing these matches and doing this violence and using these weapons and having these fights per se has really brought attention to you
1: like I said there's better professional wrestlers out there than me and know that but like I always promote myself as a fighter. I tell people, like, I don't fight to win. I fight to survive. I try to use the Gary J movement and, like, the way I am in the ring. And, like, it's just insane how, like, connected the people you become. I feel I have this big following now, which is insane because, to me, I'm just a dude sitting on a couch eating a
0: bag of Doritos, you know?
1: I'm just a guy that happens to know what he's doing, is very good at what he's doing. And Twitter and social media helps a lot with that whole thing as well.
0: Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about that as well, because obviously I connected with you on social media and five years ago and even 10 years ago, if we go back and we were mentioning a little bit about with the televised title that social media wasn't a thing for wrestlers. And it wasn't a thing that was important. And now it's very important. And it's important as far as storytelling, as well as getting a match. I mean, you got the entire Jake Parnell situation started partially because of Twitter and tweeting at them. So how do you feel that social media influences wrestling outside of the ring?
1: I totally think social media is a huge thing. And I tell guys that are young that it's a very big tool to let people know where you are, who you are, what you're characters as well. So it's huge. Most people look at their phones all day. If you can get their attention just for a split second on their
0: phone, success. And now I think we just covered a lot of stuff. We covered a lot of the big stuff. I think that Jake Parnell and the Nick Gage situation and everything that happened with him and fighting him is also very big. as as well. some of the early stuff that you've dealt with. And you've been doing this for 15 years. And I'm very curious as to what advice you have for people who want to get into wrestling. I
1: always tell people my advice to them is just if this is something you really want to do, work hard and learn from the people. People that have done stuff before you don't listen to some schmuck that wrestles once a month down to the local fucking DMV, local watering hole, the old badass vet because he has 50 matches in his 86 year fucking career. If you want something, look at people that have done it before you. If you want to travel or be on TV, and you're around these people, be like, well, how did you get there? Pick their brains and just be very open and listen. It's one of those things where I tell kids, don't waste my time. I won't waste your time. If you want it, it's a job. Take it serious.
0: And finally, I would like to give you an opportunity to promote yourself. Do you have a Facebook, Instagram, Twitter,
1: website? My Twitter is at StiffRoboGinger. And then if you want, for some reason, look at my Facebook, just look up Gary J
0: as always thank you for listening to this week's episode of the podcast and we can be found on itunes soundcloud and stitch radio and anywhere else where you listen to your podcast and while you wait for next week's episode you can definitely check us out at popanimecomics.com for articles relating to anime comics and pop culture as well as give us a follow on twitter check out our facebook page they're both pop anime comics my instagram is pop anime comics and i do have a pro wrestling t-shirt shop which you can check out that is pop anime comics lounge type it right into pro wrestling t's purchase a t-shirt because it helps to support this show and until next week we everybody-